You are listening to the Hutton Orbital News Digest. This is a shorter version of the full show that you can find on iTunes. Enjoy! Studio 5 is empty. Apart from behind a large pane of glass where a semi-domesticated tech monkey can be seen playing with a toy that appears to have been made up of bits of old wiring from an anaconda's cockpit, something that looks like a coffee maker but probably isn't, and a string of cockpit lights torn from a keelback. Outside, there's a lot of traffic as the crew, desperate not to be late, are in a queue waiting to land, dependent entirely upon the adjudicator. First to land is Rudolf Hucker, resplendent in his purple python. Norma seems to be alone in her Movada. Wilma Fingerdoo slides seamlessly onto the pad in her black adder. And, oh yes, she's very bad indeed. Behind them, there's an orange sidewinder with property of lave radio on the side, going round and round in circles, aimlessly. And... Through the cockpit window, we can see Harry Balzac, who seems to have fallen fast asleep. Sensible Commander Wotherspoon exits Supercruise, takes one look at the queue, and flies his blue cobra back where he came from. As the clock sweeps inexorably towards the unbreakable start time for the show of 8.30-ish, there's an unmistakable sound as the crew jostle for position in the 404 fast lift, and there's the faintest sound of a ding as it arrives. The crew run into the studio, throw their flight suits into an untidy pile in the corner, move their seats two metres apart from each other, and try to breathe normally after running for the lift. They raise their heads expectantly and face the control room window, where they can see that the tech monkey is staying alert. A gloved hand raises its thumb, and a voice issues from the masked face. Our mics are live! Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the news. And this week, we are the four musketeers of Hutton Orbital News. I'm not saying which one's which. You can work that one out for yourselves. This week, due to galactic events, we're standing on, in news terms, fertile ground. Is that because we're full of... Oh, oi! Wash your mouth out with soap. Sorry, Norma. You'd never hear me saying words like that. Often. Okay, maybe maybe I do, but not on air. On air, I'm seamless. Just like that lazy lockdown onesie. I'm still wondering how you actually get into that thing. I do like the little ears, though. Anyway, it's time for the news headlines. Fleet intelligence from Big Rat. Carry on, carriers. Carrying on. Meat eaters don't all like it, but a veggie might. Well-known Hutton personality, fine for dropping them in Hutton space. Steward's inquiry into the runs. Atrus 5060 sends one of his postcards from over the edge. 
something at Hutton is really, really high. Lockdown diet leads to uncontrolled expansion. Commander Silwyn Stardust can claim the title of first commander to be rescued by the Fuel Rats' new fleet carrier, the Rat's Nest. After initially making a request some months earlier, the poor commander was stranded in an area of space known as the Anaconda Graveyard. The so-called because it requires a neutron boost to enter, but once you arrive, there are no neutron stars to facilitate a return. The request at the time can be paraphrased as, I'm stuck, can you help? And the reply as, sorry mate, not without a fleet carrier. Since that time, Commander Stardust has been happily mapping away, covering every square inch of every body, leaving no similarly shaped rock unturned in an effort to keep sane, though luckily also spending time keeping up with the galactic news. This should not be confused with keeping up with Golnet news, which really doesn't take very long. And so was aware of the Fuel Rat's intention to equip their fleet with their big tanker. We're not saying that Commander Silwyn Stardust was desperate to rejoin the rest of the galaxy, but Mama Rat was in the process of picking up the keys for their carrier from the dealer and negotiating about a full tank of tritium and the first month's maintenance cost. When her phone rang, and Commander Stardust piped up with a cheery, only me. Always eager to please, the Fuel Rats decided that this would be an ideal shakedown mission. After all, they always went well for the USS Enterprise, and indeed such was the case, only losing one rat during the two-hour six-jump trip out to the graveyard. For the return trip, the carrier, the Rat's Nest, did another first, carrying the stranded ship out in one of its large bays, and then watched it take off as they reached the edge of the bubble, as the commander headed back to their base at Vega. The Fuel Rats have learned several valuable lessons here. One, that they can now attempt to rescue missions that are further away than ever before. Two, that ships can be rescued from situations hitherto impossible. And three, anyone hitching a lift on the carrier really, really needs to pay attention to the countdown to avoid being left behind as it departs the system. Exciting news from Hutton Orbital's admin office this week, as with the Brewer Corporation releasing the variations on the Drake-class fleet carrier, Alvin Diva issued an edict that he wanted to hitch a lift on the new Hutton Hot Bus all the way to Colonia. The FTM Cloud Atlas has been temporarily designated as Hutton's flagship. Yes, we do have a flag whilst he's aboard, and uh, he is bringing a few other truckers with him for company. Commander Hutton Truckers, who changed his name by deed poll as he was appointed membership manager, will be taking the trip to Colonia to rendezvous with the Hutton event carrier, the FTM Ruby Ruby Ruby, under the command of Graham Snuggles McKee. The Cloud Atlas will then refuel, rescue Cecil and make the return trip to Hutton Orbital in what we hope is the first of many Hutton to Fort Mug trips over the coming months. 
Progenitor Lael Wolf was originally intending to join them, but has been refused permission by the Pilots' Federation as, as they put it, influence around the bubble's already a mess without you jumping ship and going on holiday. Her orange eyebrows are now stuck in a permanent frown, but she's asked that we bring Cecil back in one piece so she can give him one. A piece. Of her mind, that is. Alongside these two behemoths in the FTM fleet, Hutton are loaning a pair of vessels to the DSSA Deep Space Support Array with a Chris... Ah, dear, diddly-doodle. With a Christios refuge already fully refueled and heading out into the black. Hutton Space is being serviced by former Hotbox Hot Boss Rampage 737 and the FTM Alvin's Paw, based in Alpha Centauri and providing an occasional large landing pad for commanders foolish enough to fall for the joke, or coming in for a large load of rares all on their own. An order has been placed for an awful lot of limpets, just in case anyone forgets. The Paw will be engaging in near Hutton activity on an as-needed basis usually when Rampage wants a walkies. Never one to turn away anyone in need, Admiral Aiden has commissioned his own medical carrier, the FTM Alvin's Mercy, and is proceeding to load it up with bandages, soothing creams and lotions, hangover cures, and of course everything that Nurse Wyeth needs to cure the lurgy should any systems be struck down without break. Any commanders in the vicinity of Snyder in TZ Arietis, please assist in loading it up with every cure imaginable. Whilst not an exhaustive list of the fleet carriers that have been pressed into service with Hutton, these are the officially approved and Alvin-prepared carriers that come with a deck just for walkies and comfy cushions at floor level in all important rooms. Funnily enough, the snack cupboard has been placed at nose height as well, just in case his nibs gets the nibbles. Anyone wanting to head to Colonia, final boarding has now been called on the Cloud Atlas. Make your way to Hutton Orbital and get strapped in as it's heading that away very soon. On the subject of carriers, the Brewer Corporation have finalised the details of their orbital licence with the Pilots' Federation, Universal Cartographics and local governments. After a last-ditch attempt by many systems to declare a NIMBY counter-proposal that would leave carriers unable to visit many systems, boffins at Universal Cartographics, assisted by Canon Interstellar, have come to an amicable agreement. All carriers will be permanently banned from permit-locked systems, as there are rumours that shady characters, including the dastardly Don Antonacci himself, were planning on sneaking around security protocols aboard carriers and circumventing the rules thoroughly. How awfully like him, that is. That just left a number of binary planet orbits where planet A, let's call it planet Lilipu, violently objected to any nasty-looking fleet carriers owned by planet B. Let's call that planet Blifescu, uh, blocking their view of the stars as they passed each other. With a standard orbit bubble for a fleet carrier being set at 500 kilometers from any exclusion zone, the big Indians of Lilliput were concerned that the exclusion zones overlapped occasionally and the little Indians of Blifescu might be able to see them sunbathing naked in their backyards from their orbital carriers. The solution was clever application of a Barry Center orbital path. The carriers now orbit at a much wider distance around the pair of them and individual planets be damned. 
The ships will just orbit the pair of them and not care one jot. While testing, a number of pilots reported that they'd managed to get their fleet carrier stuck in the wibbly, wavy arms of the nearest neutron star or the uber-gigawatt glare of a white dwarf, and whilst the unobtainium and hulls of their carriers were fined, anyone taking off would very rapidly discover that their ships were not similarly protected. The Brewer Corporation and associated engineering firms behind nav beacons and those cute little signs outside stations that advertise the nearest McThargoids are steadfastly refusing to reveal the recipe behind their unobtainium plating, the rotters. Which means that Universal Carto had to come up with a new shape. Not a sphere, but a giant space cylinder. Now, we didn't think that was funny enough, so we're calling it a sausage. A ship-saving safety sausage around the wibbly-wobbly arms of dangerous-looking stars. Of course, there's no use, use yet on what shape the exclusion zone will be around a black hole. But we're going with something complicated and decidedly five-dimensional and mind-bending. In associated news about dark matter, there has been an outcry as the Brewer Corporation have released a warning that galactic supplies of their Brewer brand yeast extract are running low. With all of their resources being moved to carrier production, the business arm that funded their domination of the love them or hate them carriers, the Brewer Corporation Brewhouse, have reported that no one has been bothering to buy beer, and as a result, the yeasty and sticky goodness that other retailers put in black and yellow jars is running low. They've restricted the available size to a little pot for your pocket and not the one-ton canister that most people buy with their weekly shop and put on everything from a hot bit of crumpet to their savoury ice cream yeasty sundaes. Hutton have responded by ensuring that every brewer launch carrier comes complete with microbrewery and onboard bar ensuring that the black brewing byproduct will be available to all and sundry. We all know that loitering is a crime, but then again, so is littering. There is literally no latitude on litter. Launches leaving litter lead to loaded losses. Huttons, for Senec accountants, keen to complete the ledgers for Operation Hot Mess, have discovered a mild-mannered miscreant in our midst. There is a villain who ran up more fines than everyone else put together, whose carelessness with their precious cargo of mugs led to unlimited overtime on the part of the Hutton cleanup squads, and led to pirates swarming around the, the orbital like flies around Moof on a hot day. The name of this naughtiest commander in Hutton space? None other than I'm harmless, honestly, Flossie. In her nom d'ordure, Poppy. Flossie claims that just because she bought more mugs than everyone else and spent many hours giving them away for free to anyone who asked for them, that this should excuse her littering Hutton space with tons of mugs just because she didn't want to play with the pirates outside the no-fire zone. The Hutton authorities disagree, as they are still picking broken bits of pottery out of the superstructure, and so Flossie is currently being incarcerated at his fluffiness's pleasure in a maximum security detention centre. A defence fund has been set up by Flossie's cadre of followers, the so-called Dark Hamster Wheel, and contributions may be left in plain brown envelopes behind the pipes in Cubicle 3. 
Mankind's history is one of perpetual struggle, from crawling from the primordial, primordial ocean, then having to search for a decent hairdryer, all the way to finding just the right shade of puce for your fleet carrier. But none epitomizes the sense of endorphin-releasing triumph like breaking the record for the hut and run. Indeed, this is, and, and little else, is what's been keeping Commander Brett River keeping Commander Brett Riddlebow's spirits up as he has been stuck in a Groundhog Day of existence where every day is Friday. Commander Riddlebow's record has been unassailable for nigh on half a year, or more than two lockdowns as we know it, until they come along. You know, them. The huge monsters that travel the galaxy, making a sound like a million hippos farting underwater, and spark the great tritium tritium debate. Yes, fleet carriers. Some enterprising commanders have discovered that if they hitch a lift on a fleet carrier that's on its way to Eden at just the right time, that they can appear near Hutton in just a few minutes. Now that's all well and good, but it's actually making the is it actually making the hut and run? If you start a marathon, pick up your first water bottle, then get a friend to give you a lift to the finish line, have you actually completed the race? Will people feel obliged to still give you the sponsorship money for special effects and hearing dogs for the death? The legitimacy of the news claims has to be established and steward's inquiry will be convened just as soon as we can try them from the Hutton Bar, because yes, they are bar stewards. And we're not afraid to be seen with an old joke. And neither is my husband, or so he tells me. Good evening, trackers. Atrus5060 reporting in with something completely different. With no signs of the Thargoids, dastardly rotters, I decided to go out to Colonia to help Ed's 38 get their biscuit tin back. I loaded up my new crate phantom for the mission with the hopes of using the Neutron Highway to get there quickly. Taking off from Lave Station, it's lovely there, I travelled about 2,000 light years out before recalling that I'd not checked the damage on my FSD after so many Neutron jumps. I decided to pull out a supercruise to repair, only to discover that I'd forgotten an AFMU, or is that an AFMU, to repair the FSD. A quick look up on the galaxy map showed that there was a station at the edge of the bubble that had AFMUs in stock. I set a course and made it safely to the station. After purchasing and fitting the module, I took off with the hopes of reaching Colonia this time. At 5,000 light years out, I made my final blunder of this trip. Pulling into orbit around an M-class star to refuel, I zeroed my throttle as all good boys do and left the cockpit to use the ship's facilities while the ship refueled at what I thought was a safe distance from the star. Unfortunately, it was not as the ship began to heat up. I heard the ship's alarm begin to sound. I attempted to exit the ship's bathroom, only to discover that the door was malfunctioning due to heat damage and could not get out. 
As my ship slowly cooked itself, the door finally opened and I returned to the cockpit and saw, to my horror, the damage had been done. With my power plant reaching critical and my Venus flytrap wilting, I looked out at the fiery ball that had sealed my fate and saluted it, exclaiming, for the mug, as my ship blew up. In my escape pod, I had plenty of time to think as the rescue services flew me back to the bubble. I've decided for now that it's probably best to use the new fleet carrier service to get out to Colonia, so I'll be hitching a ride with the admin team on the FTM Cloud Atlas. See you out there soon, truckers. For the mug... With all the talk of the mass expenditure on new toys, and with most people not having a clue what they want to do with it, Hutton pilots have been consoling each other at being billions of credits poorer by getting as high as they possibly can. No, we're not talking about indulging in an unhealthy onion head habit. We're talking about that other addictive fix the galaxy has to offer, exploration. Admiral Snuggles McKeague loaded LCU on board the FTM Ruby 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 and headed up at speed. He hit the top but had to stop and that's what's bothering him. So he slunk sideways a bit and tried to head up even harder. Bagging a system on top of the galaxy seemed a good idea at the time, but there are rumours that other commanders belonging to other factions have got even higher than the Ruby did. Commander Hutton Truckers is en route to Colonia to try and join the crew of the Ruby 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 and see whether Hutton can get their name on something notable. We've got a flag and we're not afraid to stick it in just about anything. You know, I'm not used to this. Normally, Lou leaves me a little notes like stay off the naughty step and help over in tear. But this is just silly. I've seen smaller draft copies of the collected works of Senator Wegar, Volume 1, than this. Alvin's most unhappy as it looks like his diet is over and he's expanding at a rate that's going to leave his belly rubbing on the floor when he walks if he's not careful. With the Galactic Update earlier in the week, it looks like someone at the Pilots' Federation has been at the Onion Head and sliding all the sliders up to 11. Here at Hutton, we don't like expansion, especially as our spandex isn't that stretchy and elasticated waistbands are so 3305. Alpha Centauri, George's Pants, Wolf124, PSPF LF-2, LP525-39 and most probably Wise085-0714 have all gone into expansion at the moment and that's not good. We're not sure that there's anything that can be done about it, but if anyone wants to break out the big hose and put the expansion fires out, dropping our influence a little in those systems, the Hot Pit team would be very grateful, as otherwise they'll be advertising for a new custodian, or five. To cap it off, we've also ended up with a war for control of LP532-81, and we don't give that a little if we don't give that a little bit of attention we'll be losing that one 
We have an incoming message from custodian DeFore Smith of the boarding crew. Over in LP53281 to keep us especially on our toes, the lovely fellows of 39 Tory Interstellar have decided to turn the strange universal stellar alignment into an advantage and whilst most systems are awash with tales of expansion, their secretly mounted forces for a war. When asked for a statement from the custodian's office, the reply was simple. We are a hungry bunch of truckers and thirsty for a swift victory. What the mug? If that wasn't enough, why is 0855-0714, the former pirate base that Hutton took over in the very early days, has declared a drought? Yes, they've run out of water and they've taken to drinking anything that quenches their thirst. How thirsty you have to be to drink the urine recycle, we don't know, but we're probably sure they'll be finding out soon. They've asked us not to take the piss though, but only because that they're parched. We've sent out an appeal for, to the carrier FTM Alvin's Mercy to run a mission of mercy and bring them a few thousand bottles of sparkling spring water from somewhere nearby before the situation gets out of hand and they start on the coolant fluid from their own ships. The only known person to ever survive that is Cecil, but that's because his blood alcohol level is 120 proof. Over in Colonia, things are going much the same way. Though Sinbad the Bad has been taking advantage of the situation and systematically unpicking all the hard work from the Risketeers, whilst the Palace Federation is looking the other way. He's bad, isn't he? And that is just about all I can take for one session of these notes. I'm going to go and pay off some of these fans, unless anyone has a few billion credits to loan me. Universe is in trouble, bug infestations in the bubble, your home stations burned rubble. What on earth can we do when your faction leaders a dog and your daily tasks are a slog? You're feeling like a youth cog. What on earth can we do now? Interstellar initiatives Let Flossie tell you what it is Then you can get involved with this You should listen to what Flossie says Interstellar initiatives Flossie tells us what she thinks it is Then you can get involved with this Now you should Listen to what Flossie says Listen to what Flossie says What on earth can we do? Do what Flossie tells you to What if she talks nonsense? Interstellar initiatives Let Flossie tell you what it is Then you can get involved with this You should Listen to what Flossie said Now we learn what Flossie said We can put this matter to bed Just keep a voice in your head Flossie told you what to do 
welcome back to Hutton Orbital Radio Book Club, where we present part three of This Other Eden, the tale of the missing mugs, stolen stoneware, or purloined pottery, written by Flossie under the pen name of Tabitha Crispy, read by the author herself, by special arrangement with her manager, before she departs on her tour of the penal colonies of the galaxy, where apparently she'll be reading extracts of her works to make the inmates feel better about being locked away from everyone. The story so far. Miss Marbles is on the trail of a load of Hutton mugs which were misappropriated before they could be given as prizes at the annual Hutton fete. She is en route to Van Marnenstar to visit Eddie Gridler, one of the monks, following a caffeine-based clue from the mysterious floor-mopping guy. But first, her passenger ship is stopping at Jackson's lighthouse. As our ship completed its jump, I was simultaneously struck by how beautiful and bright the star was outside, by a sense of loneliness. As for the first time, I was in a system containing no human habitation whatsoever, and by my umbrella, which fell from the overhead rack. I decided to stretch my legs during the preparations for charging the drive in the Newton star and look out at the six stars in the system. Whilst I stood at the portal, gazing into the inky blackness of space, which was being violently pierced by the bright white Newton star and its hypnotically dancing jet cones, a tall figure, smartly dressed, came and stood beside me. Beautiful or deadly, the stranger said in a cultured and quiet voice. Indeed, indeed it is, Mr. I inquired. My name is not important, he replied. Let us just say that I am a fellow passenger who has travelled from Epsilon Indy to here, where I am to rejoin my ship, the Noob Scoop, to continue my trade of salvaging spare parts from ships to, that do not survive the supercharging process. A sad but surprisingly lucrative business. Before I disembark, can I give you some advice? Okay, Mr. Important, what is it? Let me give you some words of wisdom. Beware the monks, for they are not what they seem. Beware a one-legged seafaring man, for he has travelled to the wrong story. And beware the shrimp salad in the restaurant. Have you seen how far from the sea we are? And with that he was gone, leaving me to wonder how he was going to transfer to his ship. The captain made an announcement of the tannoy that we were about to enter supercruise. At least, I think that's what he said. But he was all but drowned out by the raucous cries from coming from what they laughingly called the reading room, which contained three books. One antique copy of the National Geographic, which fell, upon, or fell open at the root bits and a very politically incorrect magazine containing many pictures that's been thumbed more often than the doorbell on a house of ill repute when the Space Force was in town. I made a note to complain to the captain about the body in the library as soon as we landed. The cabin was suddenly flooded with the bright light of the star and the ship was tossed harder and further than a salad at a Texas barbecue. There were horrible groaning sounds from the ship's superstructure, and on the wall of my cabin, the mirror cracked from side to side, and I was violently and urgently reminded of Mr. Important's advice regarding the shrimp salad. 
Eventually, all became still, including my digestive system, and the captain announced that we were fueled and ready to proceed. I'd like to report that the rest of the journey was uneventful, but it seemed that our pilot wanted to test out how fast he could scoop fuel and how close to the sun he could get at every jump. The ice in my glass boiled, the gin evaporated. That was a crime when I'd poured a double. Sin to waste it, but what can you do? I soon forgot the problems of the trip as we arrived at Van Maan the Star and the ship came into land, passing closely above the famous monastery. I disembarked and took a harbour to the gate of the monastery. For those of you who may have used one, a harbour is like an Uber, but is considerably cheaper due to the driver's lack of spatial and temporal awareness, so you never know what is going to turn up or when you get there, where there is. But as I say, they are cheap. How much, I asked the driver. 4 50 from Padding Town came the very reasonable reply. The ground transport coughed and sputtered away, and I stood with my luggage looking for something resembling a doorbell on the vast, forbidding edifice of the monastery. Eventually, I found a bell pull in a small niche next to the gate, and I pulled it. From the other side of the wall, I heard two voices. One after the other crying, ding dong. After a short while, two robed figures came to the gate. Can we help you? One asked. Did you two just make the sound of a bell? I replied. Yes, I'm the big ding and here's the little dong, said the first monk. The second one said nothing, but looked down at his feet all the time, mumbling. I'm looking for one of your order, Eddie Griddler, I said. The monk gasped. Sister Josephine? Oh, she's right out of order. Expelled, in fact. Gone, packed her suitcase and left, taking her collection of erotica, unusually hairy forearms and surprisingly masculine perfume. She ran out of here like a box of shorts were on fire, and the last we heard was, Forward my mail to Mitterrand Hollow. Bugger. I would have said, if I was given to expansive, expletive expressions, but instead turned around called for a harbour and sat down for the long wait. Join us next time when Miss Marbles chases after the missing monastic mendicant and teaches someone the lesson that what goes around comes around in 86 seconds. Flossie told you what to do. Tonight, we bring you the latest riveting information from Galnet, our new weekly feature, the Galnet Food Digest. We try everything so you don't have to. I'm Amelia Hawke, and tonight we're, looking to, we're going to be looking at another one of the galaxy's rarest and most dangerous cooking ingredients, the Mokujing Beast Feast. Looking at the crate the Beast Feast is delivered in, we're in for quite a banquet. The first hint for the contents is the colourful packaging in orange and black stripes emblazoned with the words, warning, they're great. Eat them before they eat you. And a picture of a rather vicious looking tiger. You have to look carefully though as he's well camouflaged. Advertised as the galaxy's most dangerous cereal, 
<laughs> this is about as far away as you can get from being made from toasted flakes or puffed rice. Unless the flakes have really big teeth and the rice has a habit of dismembering you with each mouthful. Whatever possessed the designers of this cross between a bar snack, tapas serving, and meat fortified breakfast snack to use the ingredients they did boggles the mind. But the outcome is said to be one of the most exciting meat sweat inducing feasts in the galaxy. If you want to eat your way to the top of the food chain, then this is the food for you. Nolly Terminal in Mokajing occupies a system with both an Earth-like planet and a water world. And it was here that early settlers discovered that they shared their new living space with a range of creatures that appeared to want nothing more than to use them as a little bit of snack every now and again. A little bit like Australia. With an abundance of prey creatures on the lush planets, the megafauna of the bitey and eaty variety have developed specializations in a biological arms race that have left them feared as some of the galaxy's most dangerous wildlife. Whether it's the Mokujing drop bear and its uncanny ability to unscrew the top of your head while snacking on one of your ears, to the toothsome flying Megadonto duck, which not only steals the bread from your hand, but takes everything up to your bicep with it. It is said that the reptile life on the planet makes Jurassic Park look like a trip to the local petting zoo. And deep sea fishing is one of the most dangerous professions there is. You do it with a fusion powered submarine and high yield warheads. And even then, the many tentacled Mokujing Kraken will probably just laugh before dragging you to Davy Jones' locker. As humanity does when faced with adversity of this sort, their first thought was, can I eat it? It turns out that you can. And unlike planet Earth, where predators make very poor eating indeed, most people preferring grass-fed, free-range, lab-grown burgers, the fauna on Mokujin is actually quite tasty. If you like the Ucheng chili flavored pork scratchings, or those dodgy late-night kebabs that they sell outside the nightclubs in O'Connor in Van Manen's Star, usually after a bottle or three of your tonic wine made by the Mad Monks, then this is just the food for you. The ingredients on the box state that the feast is reinforced with 223 confirmed man-eating species. Too many to name here. But we're reassured that the vicious divorce cougar giant 60-foot tooth tapeworm, it eats your intestines but from the outside in instead of the inside out, and of course, that old favourite, the mock panda, are all included. As for the taste, it's meaty, very meaty. The umami flavours are strong, but it leaves anyone snacking on it with an enormous sense of galactic superiority. Hackswing are said to chew on some of the Mokujing beast jerky before engaging the Thargoids in combat. They wouldn't be drawn as to whether any of the salvaged Thargoid hearts that accompany explosive green clouds after combat are included, but you can bet your bottom dollar that they're coming out with a new improved recipe sometime soon. Is it worth the cost? Well... Judging by those vicious-looking shih tzu we saw prowling outside the compound here, I wouldn't want to head out hunting without being paid an awful lot of money. Definitely not vegan-friendly, though. Next week, exactly what are 
the botanicals that they use in Bast gin? And how does it compare to Hutton's very own Centauri Mega Gin? I'm Amelia Hawke, and due to excessive meat sweats after my first Beast Bar snack sample, I'm going to go for a cold drink and a bit of a lie down. This was a special report from the Galnet Food Digest. piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself relatively pain-free by going to the website hot.forthemug.com. Almost as pain-free as having to clean Baz's big bubble bus after every tour. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the Explorers, jumping around like them horny rabbits in a field, Commander Cometborn broke last week's distance and jumped 194,095 light years, apparently in an attempt to escape. Uh, I dunno, maybe everything? I don't blame him. Commander Atik too had fun with his trigger finger again this week, turning the despicably dirty do-batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust. He racked up over 49 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of every one of the Don ships. Running missions faster than a summer romance, Commander Montgomery Python took the lead and tallied up 1,431 mission points this week. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Mindwife hauled almost 68,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy yet again. Each delivery even came with its own mixtape of Mindwipe's duets. Driving the Hutton high-speed rail this week, Commander Dr. Bismo delivered 985 passengers around the galaxy. 
Our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is held by Commander Brent Riverboat in one hour, 22 minutes and 31 seconds. But the fastest run to Hutton in this month of June is held by Commander Thomason in one hour, 24 minutes and 11 seconds. If y'all think you got what it takes to beat these scores, then download the Hutton Helper and get to flying. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own Hutton decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways. The only ships in the galaxy that come with an emergency Hutton mug under the sea. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Everybody's buggered off now, so why don't you bugger off? Nato, for the mug.